Welcome to the Human Performance Outliers podcast with your hosts, Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. At Human Performance Outliers podcast, we dive into a wide range of topics revolving around health, nutrition, and physical fitness. If you enjoy the show and wish to support us, please visit patreon.com forward slash HPO podcast. If you do not use Patreon but still wish to support us, please also consider checking out our PayPal page at paypal.me forward slash HPO pod. The link to both of those can also be found in the show notes. Finally, please consider subscribing to us on your favorite podcast listening platform. Now, on to the next topic. Push your buttons trying to get here. I don't know how I did. I got no clue how I did, to be honest. <laughs> well, you know what I got to do? I got to pl- let me plug my phone in. I want to make sure that uh, we, don't run out of batteries. we don't run out of juice in the middle of this thing. Hold on. <laughs> so, oh, but I mean, is that, so are you like on a green screen behind your wall or what do you got there? Is that no, just- dude, literally that's, you could put different set. I know that you could put different settings behind you, but how you're asking me how to do it. I can't answer that question for you. Do you know how to do that, Zach? No, I don't have the technology for that. (laughs) No, no, I swear to God, it's in Zoom. It's in Zoom. I just pushed the button. Okay. Yeah. No, this is nothing. Trust me, fellas. This is nothing that I did that was technically. Okay. You're not the technical genius. Yeah, because if we can get a nice background for both of us by just like putting up a picture in that's some program, that'd be yeah, the way to go. From doing that stuff. Anyway, <laughs> you know, so basically, because I have a Zoom account, I use Zoom for my Monster Mindset program, uh, pro, uh, excuse me, program and website. And so when I do my stuff for this, this the, the background, this is the background I use. No matter where I am, it's always the same. You're, always in, San, so, you're always in San Francisco. So basically when, when it said, when I, when I pushed join the meeting, right, it said open. So open my account and then my account joined to the call. So basically that was preset my account from the last cool. one I did. Awesome. I have no idea how I got it set though. Are we, are we rolling <laughs> by the way, Zach? Are we recording? Yeah. Yeah. I just hit record. So we're good okay, to go. Cool, man. So anyway. Rockin'. We're rocking, baby. I love so, it. So <laughs> John, where are you, cause you are not far from San Francisco. You're up in Northern California somewhere, right? Isn't that, isn't that right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually literally, I would say 35 minutes without traffic. <clears throat> you know, nice. the barrier traffic's pretty nasty. So it could take you 35 minutes. It could take an hour, 35 minutes. <laughs> yeah your wife was in like a ghost it was cool it looks like she's a ghost in the background on the screen. oh you can see her <laughs> yeah, she's like, she's like a, there she is <laughs> oh yeah she's popping through the screen i That's love cool. it yeah because it's, it's clearly it's not used to having stuff behind you i've never seen someone moving around behind me before i see she is just like it's, popping it's, up this is, this is really <laughs> I'm glad we got some. Clearly, of I need to look into some of the features that we're not taking advantage with Zoom. There we go, Zach. <laughs> anyway, so let's, John. You are, um, you've been a strongman competitor. You've been a power lifter. You've been a wrestler and, and a professional bodybuilder. You've done kind of it all in the strength sports. And I mean, you're. I mean, I've met you in person now a couple of times, and you're literally like a cartoon character, man. You're just like this. Life, this monstrous. I mean, you got that jacket on, but beneath that little jacket is is just these incredible, like, just ridiculous amount of muscle. And I think that's, uh, you know, here's an interesting thing because one of the reasons I wanted to get into contact with you because, as you know, and you talk to me, you know, I'm this crazy doctor that's out there eating this all meat diet and and saying it's healthy, and you're not going to die and get sick. And one of the things that people always tell me is, yeah, that maybe it works for you, but you can't put on any muscle unless you have a bunch of carbohydrates. 
And, <laughs> oh, Jesus and, Christ. And you're a guy that, you know, I, I'm like, look at this guy. I mean, he eats almost well, no <clears throat> The first thing I say to people, you know, people love to say things. They love to throw terms around. They love any fat, you know, it's almost like pop culture. Whatever terms are flying around, people love to use them, even though I have no clue what it means. Oh, you're keto. Oh, you're this. Oh, you're that. Well, Jesus Christ. The bottom line is this. If you really understood what you're talking about, then you would be able to break this shit down. So let's say the three macronutrients are simple. There's carbohydrate, which is the worthless one, protein, and there's essential fats. I don't really count fats that are not essential because I don't eat them. But protein, we know is hands down the building block for muscle. You cannot build muscle without it. Now, of course, people survive without carbohydrate, but you don't find someone who's muscled up, you know, on a vegetarian diet. You know, it's just, you know, there's no me walking around eating vegetarian diet, you know. Then we're going to do essential fats. Just the word essential kind of leads you in the right direction. It helps with your hair, your skin, uh, healing properties up the guazoo. Um, now we go to the lonely carbohydrate. Have you ever heard anybody say, don't forget to eat your essential carbohydrate, Johnny? Of course not. It doesn't exist. There's no <clears throat> carbohydrate has one dimension only, and that is fuel. Now, just like, you know, let's say we're, let's just say that we're, uh, 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 the three of us are, a, uh, a, we're a, uh, basically a strong team. We're a strong man team. We're only as strong as our weakest link. And, the carbohydrate literally is the weak link. It has one purpose only, which is energy. We've proven hands down, this is not my opinion, science, that when you eat excess, uh, excess protein, it will break down into glycogen. Fats, essential fats, will break down into energy as well. Carbohydrate literally only has the source of energy. So why would you take in a macronutrient that's single dimension? meaning only fuel. I would choose, this is exactly what I do, I get rid of the carbohydrate and I fuel with essential fats, which gives me more stable energy. Carbohydrate are a, is a blood destabilizer, blood sugar destabilizer. Destabilizing blood sugar leads to all the problems we don't want. Stable blood sugar gives us everything we do want. So here's the thing. It's very, very simple. <clears throat> if you can use essential fat which gives you more healing and building properties and a better source of fuel. Why the fuck are you ever going to eat a carbohydrate other than the fact that it tastes good? Yeah, John, I mean, we've had uh, some of the top protein researchers in the world, Stuart Phillips. We had Jose Antonio the other day, and both of them will tell us and will agree with you that, that there is no reason to eat carbohydrates when it comes to building muscle. It is purely about protein, particularly things like leucine being one of the primary drivers of that. And that's leucine is found more efficiently in animal protein. Um, The fact that you said there's nobody walking around like you. And when I say you like a a top level world-class bodybuilder, you know, a guy that's, you know, I think you, I think you said that, I think you became a pro bodybuilder after like doing only four or five shows. I mean, like you had like, (laughs) actually better than that. My second show. So basically I did my, I got, I get released from wrestling and I wasn't going to be that guy that went and tried to hold on and, and hope I was going to get re-signed back to work in the Tokyo Dome shows from working a high school gym. I wasn't, when I was done, <clears throat> I was going to finish off at the top. So I came home and said, let's do, let's, let's bodybuild. I'm, I'm 42 years old. What else do I got left? I can't go back in strength. I'm old. 
you know, strength is a, of course, it's a young man's sport. You don't find, there's very few of them out there. You know, Nick's best being one, you know, he's amazing high level athlete at the strength, different strength sports, but you don't find that too often. I'm banged up with multiple knee surgeries, back surgeries, whatnot. And I wear those things like a badge of honor, but the bottom line is I'm 42 years old and I still got the juice flowing. All right. I've been told my whole life I look like a bodybuilder. Let's go do it. <clears throat> when I was a kid, I wanted to be a pro bodybuilder. One, so basically went to the first, the first, I got home from Japan in December, late December. And I did my first bodybuilding show ever the last weekend of March and won that thing just hands down. <clears throat> Didn't realize that I was going to be so much further ahead of the pack at the amateur level. So actually it was Honey Rombot actually said, hey, dude, he says, you know, you, you got some potential. This is your first show. You got to get out there and, you know, turn pro and get back here and do my Golden State Pro. I was like, oh, shit, this guy's the cat's meow of the sport. He knows what he's talking about. He's not trying to sell me anything. He's just giving me free advice, and he knows what he's talking about, you know? So I basically said shit. So I went to the next opportunity to turn pro, and I did. So that basically means that I turned pro on my second ever bodybuilding contest, which when I, when I got my pro card, you know, uh, Dave Palumbo, he's all over the news in bodybuilding. So I did his, his – uh, podcast with him that night and on that podcast he said he didn't and he's almost a bodybuilder historian if you will he's, he's just a walking book of walking encyclopedia bodybuilding <clears throat> he told me on that show that he said he was pretty sure that i was in a school of five or less people who would ever become pro on their second ever bodybuilding contest he said you realize he goes the bodybuilding community and he was saying this jokingly but at the same time truth is bodybuilding community is kind of pissed off because a lot of guys have been trying to turn pro for a decade or more. And you come in here and do it in six months. <laughs> so anyway, but really my whole career has kind of been that way, you know. Um, you know, I've always just kind of showed, I've done all my homework off the radar and I show up and take the test, which is competing and just freaking boom, go from an unknown to high level very quickly. I did the same thing with strongman, same thing with wrestling and now bodybuilding. Yeah, John, because I was, you know, when I was younger and I'm 52, I, want to see, I know you're, you're, I think you said you were about 48 or something like that. I can't remember how old you were. 47. 47, yeah. And so when I was competing uh, in strongman back in the late 90s, early 2000s, I think is when I was, I can't remember when I was doing that stuff, maybe a little bit later than that. I, I remember your name, you know, as, as one of the kind of the pro uh, strongman competitors. Yeah, uh, I can't remember if you were. You, were you in a weight class? Were you in a, in a lighter weight class at one point when you were doing that? I can't. Remember. No, it's 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 basically when you're pro, it's open. You yeah, know? okay. I mean okay. that was, <clears throat> but later in my career, they came out with the lightweight pro. But when I first turned pro, it was you were pro and you were pro. Just didn't know? matter how much you weighed at the time. Yes, I yeah. re I, yes I remember you from years and years back. So it's kind of funny that you kind of you know twenty years later running India and, and kind of talking about this. But let's go back to the carbohydrate stuff because. You know, the, and, and what you said was uh, true about the fuel. And some people will argue that um, you need it to restore glycogen. You need it to perform. And, you know, and, and I found, you know, having been on a basically an all-meat diet for two and a half years now, you know, and I'm, and I'm not competing in, in strength sport as much as I used to when I was younger. I'm doing this competitive rowing stuff, which is very highly glycolytic. I mean, I got to bust my ass over 500-meter row, and I'm about to compete in the world championships in two days. 
and I can do Good it. For I'm, you, and brother. I, you know, and I've won, and I've set world records in that sport on an all meat diet. And so I, when I say I, I don't have glycogen or I don't have the capacity to use glucose, I'm like that doesn't make sense because it's doing it. So what do you say to those guys that say, yeah, but you can, you know, you still need those carbs to fuel your workouts, to recover and to train. What is your experience with that, Ben? Well, first off, I say you're a pussy because it's easy and you're doing what's easy. <laughs> and here's the example I make. So this is what, because people hear, oh, I, I just can't perform without my carbohydrates. You know, I just, I need them before and I need them after my workout. Okay. Listen, chicken shit. Training is designed to be difficult. Why the fuck are you trying to make it easy? My whole program is designed to make it more difficult. I mean, I, I'll make people do 50 bodyweight squats before they climb under a nasty set of 10 of a back squat. If I was trying to make it easy, I wouldn't be pre-exhausted. And the whole concept is make it hard. But, that, but you know, the, the thing about this is the way I break it down to people. Because people just don't, they don't get it until you put it into a dimension that makes better sense to them. And here's the example I find works the best. <clears throat> so you got two twin brothers. They're playing basketball at the park. Somehow they both go up for a shot, both come down. They both twist their right ankle simultaneously. Literally identical injury. They go to the ER, the doctor x-rays them, no break, bad sprain. You'll be fine. You each get a bottle of pain pills. Take one a day until the pain goes away. You're going to be fine. <clears throat> the smart brother does exactly that. The dumb son of a bitch takes the whole goddamn bottle. Well, when that last pill is gone, he's been on that shit for 60 days or however many days, a lot more he's supposed to be. Well, now he needs the pill just to feel normal. Hence the person that says, I just can't function without my carbohydrate. Well, no shit, because it's a fucking crutch, just like the painkiller. If you take that shit out of there, your body adapts. It actually operates on a better fuel source which is fat, it's more stable, and your body's happier. People say, oh, your, your brain needs carbohydrate for brain function. No, your brain doesn't like blood sugar fluctuation. Carbohydrate has everything to do with, blood, with fluctuation of blood sugar. Essential fats stabilize. Essential fats make the brain happy. Essential fats help you build muscle. Essential fats help you recover. What the fuck does the carbohydrate do other than destabilize your blood sugar and make you basically hook you like a fucking painkiller? John, do you do you track your protein and try to hit a certain number of grams per day or do you, are you pretty relaxed with that? You know, I'm a big, I've always been, people say, how many calories do you eat? I always, I say, I don't count calories. I count nutrients. I count what matters. So yes, I've I've been I've been a big counter of protein and essential fats. That's really how I kind of developed my deep water method in the beginning. But as I get more advanced, now I'm realizing it's really not about the number. It's not counting the macros. It's about finding out how much of which source of protein your body responds to the best. So my when I when I do my own diet, I'm doing other people's diets. <clears throat> I'm going to talk to them and literally not grams of, of protein, not grams of, of fat, it's ounces. It's, you know, half an avocado. It's six ounces of, of cooked chicken thighs. Because who gives a shit what the number is? It's the specific, the actual material to the specific person that really does the magic. Counting macros is just a general count of how much of something you're using, which is very one-on-one. 
in the nutrition world at this point. Most people really don't get how one-on-one they are because it's just one of the, the fitness world's one big fucking copy and paste now. It's a copy of a copy of a copy and the fucking lines get so blurry. People don't know what they're talking about anymore. You know, <clears throat> that makes sense. Yeah, John, I mean, when you say one-to-one, one, one, I mean, the way I interpret it is, you know, it, it, it can change day-to-day. Day. I mean, you know, I, I think for me, I mean, I eat because I need to, you know, and, I, and, I, and like I said, I know your goal is to, and I talked about what you eat, and we'll talk about that, and it's quite quite impressive. But back to the carbohydrate, you know, uh, well, with the blood glucose, you know, I, blood glucose is, is still important, but the thing is when you make your own via gluconeogenesis, primarily through protein and sometimes through fat. You know, you take the glycerol molecule and you can turn that into, into glucose. You can take some of the gluconeogenic amino acids. But when you're doing that, it's extremely stable. And I've seen type 1 diabetics that go on an all-meat diet and their blood glucose is rock-solid stable. Perfect. Wild fluctuations. So what you're saying is absolutely true with regard to the destabilizing nature of blood glucose when it comes to carbohydrate ingestion i think that brother you, you know what i love about this brother is you just basically took what i said and put it into the scientific terms <clears throat> i always tell people look i mean i know some of the science not like you do but do you really what's important do you want to learn how to use this my philosophy of dieting to reach your goals and have a great life or do you want to or do you want to learn the science does let's let's focus on what matters which is getting you what you want that quality of life so when someone can actually come behind it in scientific talk like you just did you know most people can't follow it but just the fact that there is the scientific rock solid factual proof to back up the theory is really what what makes people start to think and really when it comes down to it what i really want for people to do is think don't just fucking follow the guy in front of you god damn it you know Hundreds and hundreds of years ago, the world, we all knew for a fact, all three of us and everybody else on the planet, the world was flat. Well, we, we soon found out it was not. Well, there was a whole shitload of people that could not wrap their brain around the fact that it was, it was round. We're still dealing with that with the carbohydrate, you know? The people that are eating carbohydrates think they need to use it for building muscle. These fuckers are world, living in the world that is flat. <laughs> <laughs> There is uh, one thing I want to just sort of uh, expand upon, John, because, you know, I mean, you're, you're, you're a pro bodybuilder, you're a huge guy. People, people go to you to, you know, they want to put on mass or whatever, hit their bodybuilding goals or physical composition, you know, their aesthetic goals. But you said something about uh, qual basically quality of life. And I think that's yes. something we under. So talk to me a little bit about what your experience is with quality of life by this type of uh, dietary strategy? How does that impact people that you're, you're either yourself or people you've been it's huge. It's huge. So first off, you know, when people come to me and they want to learn my system, largely it's because they're intrigued by the way I look. You're like, you don't do cardio. You eat all the time. You're big. You're round. You're lean. They, they know that there's something they're missing. And so they come to me and they're a lot of times they're just sniffing around to figure out what, what is it? Can they spot what, what's missing? It's not that simple. So a lot of times when people come and they want me to help them understand how to figure out, as I call it, their personal puzzle, because my puzzle is different than yours and everybody else's, people will literally go from the diet they're on, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm not shitting you when I say this, inside of two weeks, a lot of times a week, people's energy is going to shoot through the roof. 
They're going to be more clear. They're going to sleep better. All of these things that are quality of life start to pop up really, really quickly. I always make the joke is a two week mark. I say to my clients, all right, we're going to have a little laugh moment of honesty. When I was telling you all this stuff's going to happen in a week, you thought I was a little nutty, didn't you? And they said, well, you know, I knew you knew a lot, but I was having a hard time digesting. This stuff was going to show up in, a, in seven days, but it absolutely does. <clears throat> and so really what it comes down to is you give the body what it needs. You feed it on a schedule. You feed it with the nutrients, nutrient value it needs. You hydrate it on a schedule too. And it's basically becomes very happy. And when the body's happy, a person's quality of life is vastly improved. When the quality of life is vastly improved, meaning body's happy. It doesn't want to carry on body fat. It's got lots of energy because the metabolism is cranking. It's not waiting for some nutrient value. So it sleeps like a baby getting in shape, getting stronger. Those are just positive side effects of the better quality of life. So people focus on the goal when the goal is going to happen, whether you like it or not, you got to focus on getting the body out of survival mode because most people are fucking fat because every time they eat, their body says, okay, I don't know when this son of a bitch is going to feed me again. He surely doesn't hydrate properly. Every next time he feeds me, I'm going to stick half of it on my ass. And I'll burn the other half real slow because I'm in conservation mode because this fucker doesn't take care of me. So as soon as you take it out of survival mode by, like I said, on feeding on a schedule, nutrient value, all this stuff, it's wow. Okay. I've never seen this before. I've never been fed what I need before I ask for it. I've never been hydrated so I can digest properly. So why the fuck am I carrying around this big backpack of fat? Let's start getting rid of this. Let's fucking crank up the fucking volume. Let's put some more energy on the table. Let's have some more focus. And boom, here comes the quality of life. And in, in, in the body giving that quality of life, which is really taking it from survive to thrive, you're, you're losing body fat and building muscle like it's going out of style. Now, granted, take somebody like me to dial in the diet to make the body happy. And like some people said, look, I want to maintain my muscle mass and I want to strip fat off. That's a different formula than if someone says, I want to get, leaner slightly as I build muscle. That's my favorite case. That's what I like to do. <clears throat> That's a different formula yet again, but they all exist within the body, not being in survival mode, being in the mode of thriving period. If you don't, people don't break it down like that. They're thinking numbers. They're thinking macros. They're thinking cardio. They're thinking shit. That's, you know, this stuff's like giving a fucking whale a Tic Tac. It, it doesn't even register to the body. You got to talk the body's language. You got to give the body what it wants. You give the body what it wants. It's going to give you what you want. <clears throat> it's almost like a husband and a wife. So, so John, wife, go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, so if someone comes to you and says like, what's, what is step one with nutrition? What do you get? If they're looking to do like one of those, those scenarios that you mentioned where they want to slightly lose or slightly lean out and build some muscle, what are you going to be like? Here's step one, get behind this nutritionally. Well, first thing I got to do is I give them a questionnaire and I need to learn as much information about their history as I can, because the history of what they've been through is really what's led the body to whatever position of survival mode it's in. <clears throat> Someone that's been a vegetarian for 10 years, that body has been lacking vitamins and minerals that don't get in different meats for a decade. It's going to be hard to convince that body that it doesn't have to worry about surviving anymore. 
somebody that actually had a fairly good diet, you know, during the week and would have, you know, bad cheats on the, on the weekend, that body's kind of, it's not quite so deep, but you get a body that's been deep into survival mode for two, three decades. It's, it's, you gotta, you gotta work hard to, to prove to it that you're gonna actually going to get it what it wants. And you're going to stay that way. So I need lots of information. And then once I build the program, I tell people, look, <clears throat> I explain, ton, I mean, it's, it's tons of information. I coach over the telephone because I couldn't possibly teach someone this shit over email. So basically when I do my questionnaire, I build the program and I, I explain everything to them. I say, look, go shopping, get everything you need. Day one, you need to hit with all guns firing all. So basically text me saying, okay, I'm starting today. Then I want you to give me a, a text with a little bit of feedback. How did day one go? Did it feel like there wasn't enough food? Did it feel like there was too much food? And I start adjusting immediately because if, if we're overfeeding, the body's worried about getting rid of excess. If we're underfeeding, you know, we're, we're moving in the right direction with nutrient value, but it's not, it's, it's leaving the body wanting, which is leads it back to survival mode. Um, so ultimately I adjust, I just start adjusting immediately to get them in the position where I can see their body start to show the signs of leaving survive into thrive. Another thing that people don't realize, like <clears throat> they go to the gym, they work out. Yeah, I'm going to go home and have a protein shake. Okay. Well, first off, protein shake is not going to buy, it's not very bioavailable, but that's a separate conversation. If you don't eat like I'm a big connoisseur. I sucked down three cups of pasteurized egg whites immediately post-training. I'm, I'm still helping to puff it. The sweat's still rolling off me. If you don't give the body what it needs right then and there when it's trying to heal and it has to chew up even a little bit of its own tissue, that is guaranteed to keep it in survival mode. It's got to chew. If it's got to cannibalize, it's scared to death. So there's a lot of elements that have to be adjusted just right to get the body realizing, hey, I don't have to worry about all that shit I was scared to death of anymore because this motherfucker finally taking care of me. And once you get the body there, like I said, the quality of life is the first thing people are going to realize. They're not tired anymore. They get up before their alarm. You know, um, one of my clients, he's three weeks in. I just talked to him. Uh, he's from Tennessee. I won't let him mention his last name, Ted being first name. He's all, he's got a great old accent. He's, he's like 48, 50 years old. Says, you know, he says, wife told me if, if she knew I was going to be 18 again, she had told me to call you 10 years ago. Because <laughs> he's just knocking the socks off her. He's, you know, he's knocking the bottom out of her because his libido went through the roof. Because when the body, well, think about it. When you're scared to death, are you thinking about having sex? Hell no. You know, when you're, when everything's good and you're happy, shit, man, you're walking, you're just a walking erection, you know, and the body thriving is going to be a lot more um, sexually active than the body that's scared to death. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. And we, we've talked about that quite a bit on previous episodes too, where it's like, you know, sometimes I think people get too hung up in trying to find out like, well, what does this blood value reading tell me? Or what does this weight on a scale tell me when in reality, what they should be looking at is like, am I happy? Am I energetic? Am I sleeping well? You know, these sort of kind of feedback loops that your body's giving you, telling you how it's doing. Yes. Once yes. you, yeah, you learn to kind of pay attention to those. And that's when you start to kind of thrive and connect the dots, whether it be nutritionally yes. or in training. Oh, yeah. And, and the thing about it is a lot of times people can get the body out of, out of uh, 
they can get out of survival mode. But now the, the trick is, is it, it, the, con- the body constantly evolves, you know? So what works for it today is going to be different in six months. And that's where you got to really learn to speak the language. I say, look, the mind speaks English, the body speaks French. You've got to know how to, how to bridge the gap between the two languages or you're never going to make this work for the long term. Because when your body talks to you, it's, so it's, it's a husband and wife. The, the husband comes home, it's a housewife waiting for the husband to come home. She's had a rough day with the kids. Husband walks in the door, he's got his briefcase. Says, the wife says, honey, you, you, could you just come sit with me for five minutes? I had a rough day. Well, if the husband sets that briefcase down at the front door, goes to sit on the couch right away, five minutes, the, the wife said, man, I, thank you. I needed that. He goes, puts his briefcase away, comes back out. There's a goddamn candle at dinner. She's happy. They're having a good time. Now, <clears throat> plan, or I shouldn't say plan B, option B, the, the secondary, that's the thrive. Now we're going to talk survive. He walks in the door. Honey, can you sit with me? Yeah, well, let me just put my briefcase away. Goes into his den. Doesn't come out for an hour. He comes out about the den. The wife saw, you motherfucker. I asked you for five minutes and you can't, you know, that's, that's the survival mode version of the relationship between mind and body. When the mind is giving the body what it needs before it's pissed off and screaming, much different relationship. But if the wife is talking in French and the speech and the husband speaking in English, the odds of them actually linking up in communication for a good relationship is much, much less. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if it makes sense, but it helps her to make a happy relationship. No, I'm kidding, Chuck. Hey, let me ask you, um, because, you know, you're obviously in the world of bodybuilding, your philosophy with, with the lack of carbohydrates is pretty unique. And, and there's a lot of people say, well, there's plenty of successful bodybuilders that eat a bunch of carbs. Uh, you know, we're going to have Stan Efferding on the program. He's got his vertical diet, which is very much meat focused, but he still includes carbohydrates in there. Yeah. And there's a lot of guys out there that will say that, you know, so many successful bodybuilders use carbohydrates. Why not use that? What is the difference? What's the advantage of going your way? Because, you know, I know that a lot of people, when they get down to contest shape, whether it's bodybuilding or physique, they feel like garbage when they're there. And, 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 you know, they can only maintain that for a short period of time. And, 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 you know, again, I'm not a, I'm not a bodybuilder, but I've been around the strength world my whole life. Uh, You know, you're, you're relatively lean, uh, you, you know, obviously, I don't know what your body weight is now, but it's, you've got a lot of muscle on you. You know, you're, you're certainly at the pro bodybuilder level carrying muscle. So what is it? What do you say about people say, well, well, Flex user, Wheeler was using carbs or, or something like that. What are your thoughts on that? <clears throat> well, here's the thing. Going back to the, the, the two brothers that twisted their ankles, right? So the brother that used all the pills, those pills just, he needs them to feel normal. The brother that used three pills that's got that bottle sitting in the, in the cabinet when he pulls that out after six months and takes a pill he has a huge profound effect so when you don't use carbohydrates often they have a much bigger effect and i'm always the first person to say look carbohydrates are a tool not a crutch you don't use them to become dependent on them you use them for a circumstance where you need to be bigger and better for the day bigger and better for the moment so when you basically take your normal diet with your essential fats and your proteins and you've got that nice stable baseline, that foundation, and then you start to load carbohydrate at the top, which I always use what I call a controlled load. So it stabilizes how it breaks down. I'll take, say, a, if you, you have somebody eat a cup of rice with mixed thoroughly a, a tablespoon of coconut oil, it, the release is 
a little bit more stabilized. So it's not so, it's not so quick in, quick out. So you're able to use the carbohydrate to load. Um, I'm, a, I'm a connoisseur of the controlled load to basically, it's almost like stacking that extra, you could say what, you're loading over the top of your normal energy level, which is sustain the fat. So you're going to get a bit, you're, for that day or for that circumstance, you're going to, oh, your, your muscles, like for me, when I load, just when I use a carbohydrate coming into a show, it doesn't take much. My body just pops. And you can see that the muscles overfill because they're not accustomed to having this fuel drop in so quickly. And so when you, when you take that, you know, when for a bodybuilding show, you're going to deplete. You're going to take fats out, even vegetables out, let your body really deplete glycogen. So then when you do reintroduce, it's like a vacuum sucking extra hard. And it takes, instead of filling that muscle back up to say 95 to 100%, it might fill it up to say 115%. That gets that extra tight shrink wrap look. Now, <clears throat> when you are using carbohydrate once in a while, you have an even bigger effect with the process I just stated. Versus if you're using carbohydrates every day, you deplete for a few days, you go back into it that your body's it, there's no profound effect from skipping out on something for three days. That makes sense. Yeah, John, I think, you know, I don't know, you know, Zach, I'm not sure if you know, know knows what Zach does, but Zach is an ultra ultra distance runner. He has a world record for a hundred miles and he oh does. My God. So he's, he's on the opposite end of the spectrum of you, of you particularly and me to some degree. Uh, and Zach has a kind of a similar approach in that he, generally is low carb. Well, I'll let you speak about this, Zach, but you're generally yeah. low carb and then you will occasionally use carbohydrates and you, you, you kind of liken it to rocket fuel when you, when you need it. So Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And exactly. you know, the, the way I've described it to other folks who are kind of curious about trying to understand how you feel when you reduce the carbohydrates or eliminate them and then bring them back is I say, think of caffeine. And this is kind of like your description with the pills too. John, where like if you are drinking like five cups of coffee every day, any one of those cups isn't going to give you like this really big pop. Yes, now you exactly. stop drinking caffeine for a week, you have one cup of coffee and you're probably going to be shot out of the room like more so than you were after five yes. the week before. So absolutely. Yeah. It's one of those things where I think it's like they can be a performance enhancer, but like a little bit goes a long way. So you have to look at yes. it like rocket fuel and understand the margin of diminishing returns. And, and I think especially in the, the world of endurance, we've kind of looked at carbohydrates as a, a good thing, but then said like, well, if a little bit's good, more must be better and just kept going and going until the majority of the diet is made out of carbohydrate. And, you know, I try to find the opposite side of that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, the thing like something you're doing, I don't even know how you could keep a flow of carbohydrates, you know, going for a hundred miles. I mean, you'd be having somebody push a wheelbarrow behind you so you could <laughs> be stopping and eating all the carbs as to where fat is such a slow, long, stabilizing burn. You're, you're going to be able to do that long distance and not have your blood sugar just hit the floor, you know? Yeah. And, you know, one thing I do talk to people about that, too, is like, well, with most ultra marathon events, you know, they have these things called aid stations that nowadays are pretty available. So people are rolling through those every, usually every hour, if not sooner, so they can kind of restock them to carry it with them, which uh, sometimes I wonder, I, I wish like those didn't even exist because then all of a sudden like being fat adapted would be yeah you'd, you'd be forced to mm -hmm, yeah but yeah. even with that even with that you know there's there's digesting too so like 
the folks that are usually the most open to my approach are the ones who they've tried to fuel to the capacity in which they need to in order to be a high carb athlete. And they find by mile seven, they're you know puking up the gels and they're you know yeah. stopping the bathroom multiple yeah. times and you know that person is the person who almost needs to start focusing on fat if they want to be successful and you know some people have just for whatever reason are able to eat a ton while they're running and at ultra marathons and they more or less can get away with a higher carb diet because of that but uh we're i think we're missing the boat if we take an absolutist approach with carbohydrate yeah. primarily well, dude, um, with you, this is the one to hear you say this, that you're, you represent the extreme side of the carbohydrate user. So to hear you say this, it's got to be open to people's eyes because, you know, people that do endurance events, they just, they're married to carbohydrates, you know? And so mm-hmm. for you to be saying what you're saying, it's got to be like waking people up, you know? Yeah, and it's definitely gaining ground, especially in the ultra endurance community, just because, you know, our race pace is oftentimes low enough intensity where fat is a very viable fuel source. Like we're not going to exhaust, like the the, the way I look at it is like, if I were doing something very intense, but briefly, I could get away with little to no carbohydrates just because of the recovery time is going to be long enough to restore those glycogen stores with protein and fats like you were talking about earlier it's when you really tighten the recovery window and you're maybe working out multiple times a day and stuff is where it gets a little more difficult to do that, but you can still do that within the, a low carb approach, uh, which is the the angle I've taken. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of momentum and we had a guy on the show uh, earlier on Jeff Browning, who I love to talk about because not only has he been crushing it in these hundred mile ultra marathons, but he's turning 48 this year, you know, so he's Uh, very nice he's doing great at these at big competitive trail hundred mile races. And, you know, most of the guys that he's, he's competing against are a decade younger, if not two decades younger. Dude, in some I'm, cases. I'm the same way, brother. I'm in the open for the IFBB at 47, man. Most people are a decade under, you know, mm-hmm. for at, at least, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, that, and that's a piece to the puzzle too. I think it's like, you know, we, we oftentimes want to point to these 20, 30 some year old folks who are thriving on what would look like a garbage diet. And they're like, well, I guess you can get away with it. And it's like, yeah, 20, you know, Sean says this all the time on our other podcasts. It's like when you're 20 and 30 years old, there's a lot of, a lot of crap oh, yeah. you can get away with. Wait till oh, you're yeah. 40. And then you see those <laughs> those people aren't running around in the sport at age 40, 47, 48, like Jeff Browning is. So it's like at some point you either have to start taking care of yourself or uh, be done early, I guess. Yeah. 100%. I mean, I mean, people say to me all the time, dude, you're 47. How, how do you do this? I said, well, number one, because a, I love it. I enjoy it. And I feel so good when I do it, when I don't do it, my quality of life goes to the toilet. You know, I mean, plus, I mean, I'm living my dream. Why would I want to stop? I mean, for me to be able to feel good and compete at the highest level as long as I can, there, there's nothing that I'm going to trade that for, you know? Hey, John, let me ask you uh, just a couple things about training and diet, because when I talked to you, you know, you were saying, you know, you're telling me that you eat on a pretty regular schedule. You eat a hell of a lot yeah. of food. Um, and you kind of, you know... I eat a lot of red meat and I find that works pretty well for me. And I know I talked to you, you're eating a little more variety of different meat, a lot of egg whites. You're, you're a big fan of, of sort of almost pre-digesting by, by mincing it up. So it's very, yeah. very easily digestible. Talk a little bit about 
kind of what you're eating and, and your personal stuff. And, and I know it's going to change from person your clients, how you're going to, you're going to direct yeah. me, but what have you found from, from what food works for you personally? Well, one of the things that I, I try to help for myself and with anybody I work with is having multiple sources of protein, you know, go through your system daily. Because as we all know, there's, you know, every protein is not complete. So when you've got multiple different profiles coming through, it's more helpful for the body. I used to be in my strength career, I was just eating ground beef nonstop. It was, um, I mean, it was, uh, you know, it, and plus I had a sponsor. So, I mean, every, I mean, I was, he, was, he was giving me all the ground beef I needed. It was totally organic. So all the CLA and the omegas was killer. Um, and it, it was, it was great. But as I got deeper into really understanding how to make the body thrive, you start to realize that, you know, some people, you just don't operate that well with red meat. And then I started to realize, wow, okay, then, then we start mixing in the different, pro, the different uh, protein profiles of different meats. And I started to realize in my own experience, if I have three different sources of proteins per day, I, I feel like I'm actually in a better place than if I narrow it down to one. If I was going to pick one, it would be ground beef guaranteed. Because, you know, you got to have some ground beef or some, I should say, I always speak at ground because that's the pre-digested. Um, but the, you know, what comes in beef, you can't, there's things in beef you don't get in chicken. There's things in beef you don't get in ground turkey. So the bottom line is, is that I always try to make sure for myself and those people that I work with, there's at least three sources of uh, proteins in terms of, a, and I, when I say protein, most people think powder. No, I don't, everything is real food, no processed food. So Egg whites is going to be a guaranteed. There's always going to be a ground beef and there's always going to be a ground turkey for me. Um, if, I, if sometimes I'll sub chicken thighs in and that'll usually take place for what I, whatever I ran out of in terms of ground beef or ground turkey. But those are pretty much my sources right there um, in terms of different uh, proteins that I use. But if, like I said, going back, if I had to pick one, ground beef would be the one. But I think that there's a value in having different sources roll through you every day. Yeah, John, I agree. I mean, from a nutrition, you know, you know, flat out, you know, we, we, we lay, a, lay a chicken against, a, a, you know, a steak on the, on the, on the nutrition meter and, and steak's going to win every time. And I think, you know, it sounds like the other stuff is, is really just protein. I mean, it's not necessarily, you know, like I said, it's not the CLA, it's not the iron, it's not the zinc, it's not the you know, the different, you know, the carnosine or the carnitine or the creatine that you're getting in beef. Um, it's just more protein. And what do you say to people that say, you know, you only need a little, this amount of protein, you know, 1.6 grams per kilogram is all you need to build muscle. And any more than that's just, just a waste. What are your thoughts? Because I mean, I don't know how many, you know, I know you don't know about that, but I mean, based on the amount of food you're eating, you're probably eating more than, you know, you know, a pound per body weight with, you know, grand per body weight. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Well, I, I tell someone that, you know, if, if, if you really want to build some muscle and you, you really, really want to get somewhere, um, you're going to have to bump that protein up because what you're doing, what you're doing, you know, at, you know, being in that middle ground you're talking about, you're going to be kind of middle grade in whatever you're doing in terms of building muscle. You know, I mean, you want to break, you want to make an omelet, you got to break some goddamn eggs. So if you want to build muscle, you know, knowing now that we know that that extra protein will convert 
into usable source of energy, why would you not go over the top a little bit with your protein to make sure that every opportunity your body has to build muscle, it's got the necessity, basically the resources to do so. So in that being said, my program, I'm always going to make sure I overshoot the protein a little bit because I'm not, I don't want to leave any time on the table. I want, I want, I have a sense of urgency in moving forward. And anytime that I feel like I didn't do something that utilized every opportunity every day, I feel like somebody's catching me. Do you find that uh, in the absence of carbohydrates that you can take in more protein? Oh yeah, for sure. 100% because and that happens with my people too. I start them off. Usually people have carbs in their diet. So I'll start off two small servings and about a weekend, once their blood sugar stabilizes from all the regular eating and the essential fats, I yank them out of there and they're like, oh my God, I was so, wa- I, I was waiting to get tired and they actually got more hungry. The body was not designed to digest grains of any sort, you know? I mean, it's not to mention it, it, nowadays, just about every type of carbohydrate has been processed somehow. The body is, has to, be, you know, the body, it's just like a, a protein powder. You got a beef protein. We live in this, in this day now where everybody's looking for organic, right? Organic, organic, organic. So why are you going to take beef, the actual original form, process it, powder it up, put it in a goddamn bottle, and, and think that's better than the actual organic version? That's, it, that's, it goes against the whole organic movement. And everybody's behind the organic movement, but they're not registering the fact that, you know, now granted, for someone that can't get the necessary protein in, by all means, drink it down in a shake. But if you can, if you can get your food down, food will win every time. I always recommend egg white, uh, to drink egg white down over a protein powder. It's, it's not even close in terms of the bioavailability of the nutrient upload. So <clears throat> here again, it, it really all just kind of, if, if you really get down to the, to the brass tacks of understanding how the, the three macronutrients work and what their capabilities are and are not, then there's no argument here. It's just people are uneducated and they, they hear again, they think that they, they live in this world of facts, just like there was a time when the facts was that the world was flat. Well, unfortunately, there's still some people that are convinced that you need carbohydrate to build muscle when there's not one property of a carbohydrate that will build muscle. It acts as fuel, period. John, there's a lot of people that say carbohydrates help with recovery. They also say that going long periods of time without carbohydrates is going to cause your testosterone, your thyroid hormones to tank. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on those types of things? How's your recovery without carbohydrates? Um, see, carbohydrates, how does the carbohydrate help recovery? <clears throat> Essential fat and protein is recovery. Now, maybe the the carbohydrate might help with the energy you need to break the muscle down, but it has nothing to do with recovering. But here again, <clears throat> going to the philosophy of making my training is difficult and it's designed to be difficult. So I surely is not going to, I'm sure as hell not going to give you something in your diet to make your training easier. I'm going to give you something to make your training a son of a bitch. And I'm going to make sure I give you all what you need to recover from your workout. Cause that's where, the whole idea of building muscle and keeping the body happy and thriving lies that there's nothing about the carbohydrate that's going to help someone build muscle. I mean, here again, with someone, when, when they say that, okay, prove it. Can't prove it. 
Yeah, what do you like in the comments about uh, the lack of carbohydrates causing your hormones to tank? Because we hear that all the time. You know, it's it's a uh, it's a. Uh... Well, I would say I would say that here again, we're going to in ten years, what we think we know about that's going to be very different. You know, um, you know, the thing about this is is no matter what you do, any action is going to create a reaction. And I go back to if you want to make a fucking omelet, you have to break a few eggs. You know, if you're going to take some extreme nature to get an extreme result, there's going to be some side effects, probably positively and negatively. Now, the question simply is this, are the positive side effects severely outweighing the negative ones? If that's the case, that's life. You're always weighing out your options. What's going to be the best option? Yes, this has, yes, this, this option brings me a little bit of negative side effect, but huge. Look at the positive side effect. That's, I'll take that deal. There's no way, you know, here again, to make that omelet, you're going to be left with a few eggshells, but that's really not a big consequence for the omelet. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> now for a word from our sponsors. This episode of HPO Podcast is brought to you by a company named Fat Snacks. That's Fat Snacks with an X. Fat Snacks is a company that makes a cookie that is keto, low carb, and high fat. They use ingredients like almond flour, coconut flour, and butter to make a soft bake cookie with one to two net grams of carbs and eight grams of fat per cookie. It comes in flavors such as chocolate chip, lemon, and peanut butter. This personally is a, an option that I've used in the past when I'm traveling, when I'm in a situation where I might be busy and on the go for quite some time and just there's a scarcity of what I would consider high quality food options. This is a great thing that's easy to pack and bring along and get you out of a pinch in a situation like that. Uh, I also see this as a really great option for parents with children who want to send them to school, to practice, or to a friend's house and don't want them to overdo some of the more traditional options that are sugar and vegetable oil-based cookies. Uh, if you'd like to check out this product, please head over to their website at fatsnacks.com and with the promo code HPO, you can get 5% off your first single order or 10% off a subscription order. Also, if you get a chance, head over to Instagram and Facebook and give them a follow or a shout out at Eat Fat Snacks and let them know that HPO is very grateful for their support. Now, back to the show. Let me ask you a little bit about um, your training style. I mean, there are you know people out there that are proponents of what people call high intensity training hit style, like Mike Metzer used to do, where it's you know one set to you know failure and lo and relatively low volume. Uh, there's other guys that are volume guys. Where do you fall? I mean, I know you said you want to make the training difficult and challenging. How how do you structure your training? Just in, just as an overview, what do you and what are your thoughts on those other styles? Well, one of the things that I've always been a connoisseur of in my system is the training and the nutrition have to match. So like people sometimes will come and they'll go to my website and buy a training program. And I'm sure they're doing, they think they can out train a bad diet. And without a good diet, my training program is just going to turn them on their head. They'll never recover because they don't have what the body needs. Now, when someone follows my nutrition plan, by the second week of the training, the training has totally changed shape. They're recovering better. They're getting through a whole workout. So my system is designed high intensity, high volume, high everything in your face, kick your ass, turn yourself upside down. But the nutrition system will keep you 
recovering and making the game. So we're basically moving forward with the biggest steps possible. Um, you know, the, if you don't match up training and nutrition, it's just like anything else. You know, a Porsche is engineered to be specifically a sports car. You can't put too much motor in there or you can't keep the back wheels. You know, you can't keep the tires hooked up. You know, you've got to have the brakes that will, that will allow the thing to maneuver properly. It's engineered to work as a unit. Everybody's got, oh, I'm going to take this piece over here. I'm going to take this piece over here. It's like they're trying to restore a goddamn 55 Chevy, and they got, you know, Oldsmobile parts. They got Ford parts. Well, okay, you might have a vehicle, but it's a, not a fucking classic rebuild. It's not a classic 55. This motherfucker's a hoopty. <laughs> so my training is it basically, as my, as my nutrition continues to develop and get better, my training continues to get more difficult with it, you know? I mean, it's not uncommon for me to do, you know, I love superset big movements. You know, I'm, I'll, you, it's not uncommon for me to do, uh, you know, say a, a posterior chain workout where I'm doing 15 to 20 sets of deadlift followed by some version of a pull-up. So I might start off with, you know, you know, uh, you know, maybe sets of seven or eight reps of regular conventional pull, uh, deadlift and run over and do a, a reverse grip pull-up to fail. Do that for five sets. Then I'll switch the variation into a, a maybe a sumo deadlift and a wide grip overhand pull-up, you know? I mean, it's just the fact that I can basically continue to push the volume with intensity and recover. It's like my design of my Porsche just keeps getting better and better. Kind of like today's Porsche will run circles around the one from 10 years ago. It's the same thing with my training. For Every year it develops. Every year it gets better. I'm always going back in and, and my training programs from, you know, even a couple of years ago, they've developed since then. And that's, that's one of the things about this. This industry moves like computers, man. It's, it's developing so fast. If you're not constantly developing, you're, you're going to be left behind. Talk about, you know, one of the other sort of traditional bodybuilder things would be, you know, uh, you know, lots of cardio, get up in the morning, you know, walk on the treadmill for an hour. You know, I, I've seen that stuff forever and you don't do any, and when you're getting leaner, that's not part of your deal. If I'm, if I'm not mistaken, is that, is that, you just, it's just diet and then train hard or my, or my. Yeah, exactly. So what I'll do for like my contests or even, even people that I'm prepping, um, basically I'll split their workouts. I'll give them a morning and an evening session there. It's fast paced. So they're going to get a lot of hits then obviously they're going to have a posing practice towards the end. So I have a guy that's competing this weekend. He's a classic physique guy. He is peeled. And he's literally, he, he's this morning, he's like, man, I'm enjoying the ride here. You know, he sees people around him that are doing 90 minutes of cardio in the morning, training, 90 minutes of cardio at night, doing, they're literally, there's nothing enjoyable about the process because they not in tune with how to get the body to do what they want it to do. You know, all of this cardio. So let's just say you've got, let's just say you've, you're the body. Let's like think from the body's perspective. You're doing three hours of say stationary bike a day, right? Two, two sessions of 90 minutes. You got one resistance training session. So you have 90 minutes. So it's a two to one ratio. The, the signal you send to the body is, Hey, you know, you're, you're doing a lot more of this bicycle riding, which for me to be efficient at this, 
I better get rid of some of this muscle because this muscle's not helping me ride this bike. So you're really telling the body to downsize by doing all that cardio versus when you're feeding it, keeping the metabolism sharp and high and your resistance training at a faster pace, but your resistance training, the body's signals are not mixed up. It's like, okay, I'm resistance training. You know, I'm, I'm, my diet's on point. I've given what I need to heal. I'm not in the survival mode. So let's just keep tearing this body fat off. I might give someone 30 minutes a day for the last four weeks of cardio just to kind of push that last little bit over the edge. But the diet is the biggest tool, hands down. When you John, say, do you, oh, go ahead, go ahead, John. I was just going to ask, since you don't use, typically use like your classic kind of aerobic type of workouts to kind of get, get, get ready for it, ready for the, the strength training sessions, do you do any type of like early phase, like more like aerobic-based strength work to kind of build a strong aerobic base in which to put some of the more periodized peaking type stuff onto, or is it just a lot of the, is it just kind of like at building volume at the same thing going forward? You know, and I'll tell you, brother, that's good because here again, the, the rules of thumb are not so strict in the regards that it, you're, you're really listening to your body. It's, it's action reaction. You pitch an action at your body. You got to be real. You got to understand what the reaction is. You know, if you're doing all this cardio, right, and you're training and you realize, holy shit, I'm beat tired, you know, I'm not really getting more body fat off me, but I'm losing weight. Well, clearly the body's holding on to body fat, but these fucking dipshits will ride this fucking bike 90 minutes a day for fucking month after month, not realizing that they're really, they're not really losing body fat. They're burning up muscle tissue. That's where that soft kind of non-tight round look comes from because They've sent the wrong signal to their body. So to answer your question, <clears throat> I don't really have this plan. You know, it's not like, okay, you got to do this. You got to do this. It's everything is, we know that we're going to basically, we're going to use the diet to keep the body happy. We're going to get it into a fat burning mode where it's going to take, it's going to go way under 10% just by doing what we're doing. Then somewhere down the road, if we're talking about getting ready, somebody ready for the stage where I was, okay. We need to give the body another push, but we don't want to send the wrong message of, of doing a bunch of sitting on a bike doing cardio. Let's do this. Let's take the split and break it into two pieces, one in the morning, one in the afternoon. Now you've got two different portions where you're going to have plenty of hits. My program's, my program's got plenty of hits. I'm not afraid to put two, three exercises together. I'm not afraid to do high reps. I'm not afraid to do high volume. So when you finish with a set, you're... Uh, uh, uh. That's a hit. You, you got 15, 20, maybe more hits a workout. So all I've got to do is just spread those hits into, you know, spread them in two different chunks of the day. Um, and again, we're still watching the reaction. What's the body doing? Is it dropping off the body fat for us or, or is, is somehow it misconstruing, you know, what we're doing? We're, we're telling keep building, but let's keep dumping off body fat. You know, it's all it's action reaction. You know, here again, so many people try to say, okay, well, I do it like this. I can tell you the direction I'm going to go, but I can't really tell you what's going to happen two weeks from now because I don't know, the, I don't know what reaction the body's giving me. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it does. It, it makes sense to be able to adjust as you go. Let me, you talked about pacing um, being important, you know, particularly if we're going to use this, uh, this, this uh, weight training stimulus to, to also help to – 
you know, allows to get leaner. What, what, what do you mean by pacing? I mean, how, how fast are you moving? What, can you give me like, just if, just give me like a hypothetical leg workout or something like that. What, how it might go, how, what the timing is would, would be. And just kind of, just kind of show me that. And that is a great question. People say all the time, how much rest do you want me to take between sets? And my answer is this, I can't give you a number. You're going to get in there. You're going to get, let's just say that we've got let's just say that we've got uh, real basic say five sets of 10 prescribed on a back squat. First of all, your first set's not counted until you get to a weight that you were like, holy shit, that was tough. I barely got that 10th rep. That means the two or three sets it took you to get there don't count. So that's the first one. You know, people will count five sets and they're going up for four of them. No, that's, that's warming up to your, to your work weight. So you hit that work weight, you're walking out of there, and you're gasping for air. I don't want you to look at the clock. I want you to basically read your body. Once you're breathing to the point where you've got control and you feel like you've got enough spunk to get in there and kick ass again, that's when you go. If I told you 30 seconds, it might be way too little. If I told you two minutes, it might be too much. And the best part about it is next week, it's going to be different anyway. So here again, it has to be this organic, you know, it has to be this organic recognition of what you're you recognize what the body needs and you give it to it and all of these numbers and all of this counting and all of these structures take away from the body's ability to move forward in in the maximum capacity does that make sense yeah i do a similar thing like when i'm when i do a lot of high-end sprinting i i want to hit a certain intensity level and i need enough i need enough rest between so that i can hit that intensity level every set exactly Exactly. So you're saying keep the intensity high on every single set. Take enough ne- the necessary rest to get you there. Not not too much, but just just enough to get you there and continue. You, exactly. You got my my thing is this: don't get back in there until you're ready to kick ass again. If you're not ready to kick ass and you feel like you need a little more rest, take the rest. You're going to get a lot more. You're going to get a lot more out of every set being a true true effort rather than just kind of rolling through it. You know, and so that being said, you know, like in my training, it's I, I always make the joke. People talk about the weekly split. I do a, a monthly split because every week the style changes. So in the first week, you got all compound movement supersets. You're going to deal with, you know, a, a, a front squat for five reps into a back squat for 10. That's a superset. You do that for five sets. You might have for posterior chain a, a deadlift into a pull up. Okay. Then week two changes, week three, week four. So when you wrap back around to week five, which is the same style as week one, guarantee you those rest periods are going to be so drastically different. I couldn't even guess what they're going to be. You know, and that's where the magic is. That's the whole thing is everybody wants to see people are just trapped in this. They, they don't know enough. So they want this exact recipe type setup direction. Well, that's the Betty Crocker way of doing things. You know, you want the Don DeLuise. He doesn't follow a recipe. He knows what it smells like. He knows what it tastes like. <laughs> you know? Let me, uh, let me ask you about the role, because this is a little different, and I think uh, it, it's kind of CrossFit and some of these other stuff. Do you see much role at all in bodybuilding for any kind of high-intensity interval conditioning type stuff, or is that just a waste of time and pulling off muscle? What are your thoughts on, on, on that aspect? 
you're you're saying like like different forms of high intensity like hit type stuff and bodybuilding yeah, like, you know, versus you know, cardio on an airdyne bike and just going balls to the wall for 20 seconds and doing repeats um, no that's great that's great because that that interval doesn't send the message that hey i got to do this for three hours we better start paring down that that interval that kick ass and rest that that's something that the body needs to be able to perform. That's going to create muscle endurance. It's not going to start pairing muscle away because of that. That makes sense. Yeah. Like I've been a huge connoisseur of 20 rep squats my whole life. And those 20, I, I always make the joke, man, I learned more about myself with a goddamn squat rack than any other place on the planet. Because when you're under a, when you're under a set of 20 squats and you got five more to go and you don't think you can get them and you're counting them off one by one, when you get out of that set, you've been in there for 75, 85 seconds, and all you can do is, is basically let yourself to the floor without smashing your teeth out. It might take you two minutes to recover. The body's thinking, okay, this motherfucker does this to me again. I better make sure that fucking muscle is bigger, stronger, and has more endurance. It doesn't think I better get rid of some of this muscle before he does that again. <laughs> it's a totally – think about the message you're sending to the body. You know, and when you think about this is the action, what's the body's reaction going to be? People need to really start wrapping their brains around that, you know, and real quick, I, I want to apologize in advance. If a lot of my answers are very, are, I'm not really giving you a specific answer because I feel like I would not be true to the way I do things if I gave it to you, but I'm, I'm answering you guys as the same way I would answer people that are under my wing, you know, because I'm teaching them to learn to read their body. I'm teach teaching them to learn how to bridge the gap between English and French. I'm teaching them to not need me anymore. And that's what it's all about. Yeah, no, I agree hundred percent. I think you just, you have to adapt to that stuff. And I, and as for someone who's done my share of 20 rep squats, I totally understand and get, oh, and get I know I, I never, you know, I think I got up to around 340 for 20, which was decent for me. But I mean, that's, that's, uh, they're not fun. I mean, you know, you get oh, there buddy. and you, you know, sometimes, I mean, the worst one, I think I did something I did one time. I, I think I just did 135 for 100 reps, or, and that was tough. You know, have you ever done like, yeah. like do you, and you, oh, yeah. I mean, I couldn't walk for like three days after, but do you, what are your thoughts on training with heavy weights versus lighter weights? Do you do a mixture of both? Or, you, are you, or do you think? Oh, yeah. It's, you got to do a mixture of both. You have to, because here again, you do any one thing too much and the body's going to catch on. That's the whole thing of, like I said, when you're making the body thrive, what makes it thrive today is not going to be the same as in six months. So there has to be a constant, you know, there has to be a constant fluctuation of how things go in different ways that you keep the body happy. So it's always basically adapting something new. Now you wanted adapting to shift you wanted to adapt to. That's why you've got to really learn the language, you know? John, do you feel, uh, you know, the nutrition you give your body being different than most people, do you find that that changes the way you periodize your workouts? Are you big into deload weeks, a lot of recovery days, or how does that, how does that? <laughs> well, once I got my nutrition dialed in to where it is now, where I just, my ability to recover is just off the charts. Um, you know, my friends, my, you know, people that train with me periodically, I don't really have training partners because I burn them up. You know, I, if I had a penny for every training partner, I, we'd be all, we'd be doing this podcast from an island somewhere, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and so, but it's, it's one of those things to where um, 
forgive me, God damn it, I apologize. I've, I've just had a brain fart. What was the question again? I, didn't get I was, asking, about, I was <laughs> asking about how nutrition impacts your recovery, your ability to train yes. continuously without taking long rest periods or deload days, deload weeks. Yes. Yeah, so, so that being said, my training partners that do stick around for a little bit or friends and family, they say, I used to deload, you know, and now basically the, the, the joke that people make is rest finds me because I basically train myself into the point where, you know, and, and I can't say it's the best practice, but it, it's the way I've always done it. And I love it. And I don't recommend it to anybody, but I'll train to the point where, you know, I'll pull a muscle or I'll do something that will slow me down. I, I, it's just that thing inside me. I just don't like the thought of leaving something on the table. Now, keep in mind, if I'm peaking somebody for a, a, a strength a strength sport, even when I was in strength sports, oh, yeah, you had to deload because the, the, the type of training you were doing, getting ready for that contest, like in strongman, think about, you know, in strongman, the stuff that you're doing just beats you up. And if you trained like that to the contest, you'd be kind of like a, a bloody mess, not recovered. So I would, what I would do is it was a two week deload when it was, and I still do this for the strength athletes that I peak. We're kicking ass full blown the last. So four weeks out, the last two weeks are full blown efforts. Then, then two weeks from the contest is called 75, 75, 75% of the volume, 75% of the intensity. The last week is zero resistance training. Break a sweat every day. Don't, no huffing and puffing. I'm talking about a brisk walk. Uh, I'm talking, if you want to ride a bike, that's fine, but not too long. Just keep the cobwebs off, keep the rust off. Now the body basically recovers all the way beyond wherever it has before. That's why you're at your best for that day. Now, of course, that's where I'm going to introduce any sort of a load with a, a quicker burning fuel, such as some sort of a carbohydrate, which is really going to uh, really kind of load that person to be that 125% of what they normally are because we're not using that material. Um, they're going to be 125% of who they are because they've I've pushed them further through that training phase and they've done things that they never, they've never done before. Now they're going to allow, um, and I don't let allow them to really catch up with their rest and recovery. I'm, I'm burning them down on purpose. Then that deload is what allows them to recover and become that 125% version of what they were the last time they competed. Yeah, Johnson, you said, I mean, in your own training, it's pretty much all these days that you're just training, you know, training like a maniac. It's usually without carbohydrate for your day-to-day -day yep. stuff. And then maybe for a show, you might bring some back in just to fill out your muscles a little bit. So generally you're training hard without it. Let me ask you two other questions. Um, you said something about drinking your egg whites. So I'm assuming that there is this uncooked egg whites that you're doing there. Yeah. That, that how but they're past, they're pasteurized, no salmonella. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's fine. But I mean, why do you why why do you prefer to get them uncooked rather than cooked? I mean, there's some people who talk about uh, developing a biotin deficiency. Uh, potentially, and you got to take and you got to take biotin. That's obviously helpful. But here here's the thing: if you really break down the value of our food, as we cook it, it loses value. So you cook those egg whites. You, I think the study is about 12 to 17% that you lose in the value of the bioavailability when you cook it. In essence, if we were truly, if we lived in a place where our food was very clean, 
I would eat everything raw because that's where the the, the food has a much higher value raw than cooked. You know, you're, you're basically altering protein molecules. You're altering fat molecules. Now the body doesn't quite recognize these organics because they're altered. Does that make sense? You know, yes. like little things like, like olive oil. Olive oil, the, the molecule, the essential fat molecule will fracture under a much less heat than, say, an avocado oil. So I tell people, look, if you're going to cook, you cannot do it with olive because you're altering that molecule and it's not as valuable these are the, the things like this is what this is all the little details that makes the body really really happy which makes it really really thrive which makes it really really fucking big strong and lean <laughs> that's interesting, John. I, I, you know and i've been studying this stuff for a while and you know th there's a number of people that follow this kind of carnivorous diet they're very big proponents not not a lot of them but there's a, there's certainly a, a significant minority that prefer to eat their meat raw yeah. If you look at our evolution, I mean, we didn't, cooking really didn't enter the human experience arguably till about 400,000 years ago. And as humans, you know, humans going back through Homo erectus and, and even before, we've been on the planet about three, 3.4 million years. And so most of that time was spent eating uncooked meat. And even arguably after we developed fire, meat was still eaten raw through many cultures. And even today, there's still people that eat raw meat throughout the world. So it's not that crazy to say that. Now, when you do cook whatever it is, whether it's ground beef or turkey or whatever, do you find that you, do you it's just like a quick sear that you cook it just to, just to kind of kill the contaminants off or are you <clears throat> cooking it all the way through? You know, it would really come down to at that point, it would come down to how, how much I trusted the source of the meat. You know, when I was wrestling, I spent a lot of time in Japan <clears throat> and I used to eat raw steak over there all the time. Um, nobody ever got sick because the quality of food, the standard is so much higher. Um, so it really comes down to, you know, how contaminated do I think this meat is? <laughs> I'm really just trying to kill bacteria, you know? So unfortunately, we live in a place now where food is a business. It's not about our health. And so, you know, they don't give a shit if they're passing some nasty bacteria onto us. They assume we're going to cook the shit out of it anyway, you know? So I would say I would, I'm a total believer in the people that, that think that eating food raw is going to be the best avenue. We just don't live in an environment where it's realistic and not getting yourself, you know, landed in an emergency room with some salmonella that'll kill you, you know? Yeah, that's one of the other arguments, you know, humans, I don't know if you're aware of this, but humans have one of the most acidic pHs of all animals on the planet. I mean, we are... Our, our stomach acid is more acidic even than a lion or, or a cat. It's, it's on par with like a vulture or a hyena. And we probably evolved scavenging. And one of the reasons we developed that really low gastric pH is because we probably were eating meat that was contaminated early yeah. on in our evolution. And that's why, you know, Absolutely. The people that could stand that had the, the, the more acidic stomach acid. And that's, that allowed them to survive. And, and we have that, you know, really, really strong stomach acid for that. So I think some of the concerns about getting infection are probably over overblown, although it does happen. And we do see people that get sick from, from eating raw meat from time to time, but it's probably not as relative, not as big of a concern as most people would say. So it's not as crazy as well, we talk about. So he, here's the thing though, you're talking to a guy that has, and when I say, when I say these numbers, I'm talking cooked value. So keep in mind when you cook any sort of, of flesh, it reduces about 30%. So cooked, I've been eating between four and six pounds of cooked flesh.
for the last, oh, Jesus, 25 years. So the odds of me getting sick, you know, eating that much flesh, I probably contain as much vulnerability of getting sick as 2,000 people altogether. So <laughs> I, I have, you know, as much, as much flesh as I consume, the odds of me stumbling across something bad is greater than someone that eats a fraction of what I eat. So I've had, oh, I mean, I've had food poisoning from chicken one time that was so gnarly that, I mean, it was, it was literally probably six months before I could even look at a piece of chicken. You know, it's like, you, you know, what made you sick. <laughs> and I had another, I got, I got it for the piece of steak one time. I mean, these are, these are scenarios where, I'm talking, you're talking like two days of violent throwing up and losing like 25 pounds in two days. You know, this is like, and you know, that goes into, turns into diarrhea that is like just straight water coming out your ass. You know, you can't hold down. I mean, at one point I had to get an IV one time. I was, it was so bad. And when you go through a couple of those, you think, okay, this, the detriment of getting affected like that is, is not, it, the setback is too great. So you, you start to make your choices and you're cooking your food a little more wisely. Yeah. I mean, I, and I think that's a fair statement. Let me ask you, so just, just walk me through one day of food, John, just give me one day of food for you. And then I've got to follow, I've got a couple follow follow-ups. Yeah. So basically you're, you're going to find that on any given day and keep in mind that there's, I'm going to just kind of generalize cause it's always adjusting, you know, but I'm going to eat basically 10, uh, 10 different feedings a day, as I call it, because it's not really meals. You know, it's not people think of meals like a sit down, you know, table full of dishes, that kind of stuff. But each meal is going to be, it's, we're talking about, you know, eight-ish, nine-ish ounces of cooked flesh, which puts us, you know, probably three quarters of a pound when it was uncooked. And so basically between the 10 feedings, we're talking about, uh, ground beef, ground turkey, chicken thigh. Um, th those are in the ounces I spoke of. And then I'm going to have servings of egg whites, which are going to be minimum of two cup, maximum of three. So on any given day, I do six to eight cups of egg whites. And I'm going to do, um, you know, anywhere from seven to, excuse me, seven to eight um, flesh meals. Each flesh meal usually has and here again, I, I speak in, in more visual. I, I, I would really like to, to, to stay on top of the very nutrient-dense vegetables. So I'm a big spinach, green bean guy. Um, you know, some – so really what it comes down to, I, I'm talking about – I'll usually put four or five green beans per meal. But now you multiply that by seven, that's, that's a pretty good pile of green beans. So I'm just trying to keep – I try to think of my diet as – an IV drip of nutrient moving through the day. And I eat from sunup to sundown. So I'm eating, first thing I do is go out in the kitchen and suck down some egg whites. Or if I've got a meal that I've got planned for that day, my first feeding is in me, you know, in the first 20 minutes, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take a little nip off an off, uh, uh, apple cider vinegar bottle which is great for health and a lot of other things, digestion. And I wait about 20 minutes for my for that to pass so I can put food in there and then it's a it's basically depending on how I'm gonna how long I'm gonna be up for the day I plan my meal times out which for the most part I'm up about five <clears throat> and I go to bed about nine so they don't change too much 
But one of the things that I will tell you that is very, very different for most is I backload my training. So I'll have my meals up to my training, you know, on my schedule. And then as soon as I'm training, three cups of egg whites, boom, down. Then usually within 15 to 20 minutes, I'm going to have another two cups of egg whites. And a lot of times I'll cook those and, you know, have some spinach in there or something to where, you know, it has, I'm trying to replenish, you know, nutrient value. And then somewhere about an hour after that, I'm going to do one of my flesh meals. And so literally, if you look at that in the 90 minutes post training, I've had three feedings and I can't tell you how important I believe that is because when you, when you're training hard, you break, you break the muscle tissue down. You've got this window of opportunity to let the body absorb more nutrients to build and not cannibalize. And I, let me tell you, I maximize that opportunity. So then once that 90 minutes, when it's over, over, then I go back to my spacing based on when I'm going to go to bed. And there it is. My last meal is within, you know, it's usually one of the last things I'll do before I go to sleep and climb a bed and repeat, <laughs> rest and repeat. <laughs> it's a lot of time eating. Let me add, John, let me ask you, uh, you, you talked about essential fats. How do you, and you know, you're eating egg whites. Why not the yolks? And what do you think about what are your, what are your thoughts around where you get your fats from? Well, I definitely, I definitely will do <clears throat> some egg yolks as long as they're organic eggs, because the whole egg is probably, is the, one of the best sort. It, I think, believe if I'm not mistaken, the whole egg is the best source of protein we know uh, as, as a human, that's a complete protein. And we don't find that very often in our food source. So whole eggs, I'll usually like, if, say I'm doing the egg whites in the morning, usually there'll be a, you know, I'll have a whole egg or two scrambled just to join the party. Um, fat sources here again, we're going to find that everybody responds different. Like I respond far better to avocado than say almond butter. Um, some people respond far better to oils than they do the actual, like the avocado itself or the olive. So it's, it's really here again, it's, it's pitching action at the body. Look at the reaction that it gives you back. And you, it's, you know, it's a back and forth. It's just like we're having this conversation today on this podcast because we're, you know, we're, we're basically discovering and we're, you know, we're sharing and, and this is how we're, really kind of we're getting down to some of the basis of some of the different methodologies that work was you got to do the same thing with your body. You know, we're talking hypothetical for, you know, how my system works for somebody else, or I know exactly how it works for me, but it's all based on the same principle, which is pitch an action, read the reaction, what the reaction says, pitch another action. You know, once you start to understand, you know, Hey, you know, when I pitch this action, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get this reaction back. And then you can compare reactions. You start to realize, holy shit, this is the reaction I want the most. And you start maximizing your actions. Yeah. And John, that's, that's an awesome message too. Cause I think so many times people will think like, well, so-and-so or my friend did this, therefore yeah. I'm going to get the same yeah. result as they are. When, yeah. when it's like you, like you said, like, you know, I, I might eat an avocado and, you know, feel tired you might eat an avocado and feel super energetic and then like we flip flop some of those things around and get the opposite response with a different food group. So it is to a degree kind of finding out like what are the, what are the specific products that work well for you? And, and yeah. then you, you build that body of work. You know, one thing I'll tell people is like, 
you know, I'm not a doctor or a nutritionist, but what I do have is a decade worth of time where I've ran over 5,000 miles a year for a total of around 50,000 miles. Man. <laughs> so it's like, I understand my body and how to push it to that limit. So like that understanding is, I think, where some value comes in, where you, you really get to know an acute response to specific things when you try it that many times over and over again. Yeah. And I mean, that's... Sometimes I think people don't want to hear that message because it means they're going to have to go and figure things out as opposed to just plug and play. But, you know, when you kind of flip that on its head and look at it as a kind of a cool experiment or puzzle to build, then yeah. I think you can kind of start to get behind it. Well, you know, one of the, you guys mentioned you have Stan Efforting on, and one of the things that he says a lot, and it's brilliant, you know, people say, you know, what do you like to eat? You know, well, his response, I believe, to that is, you know, I don't eat what I like. I eat what likes me, mm. <laughs> you know, that's, and that's, 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 that's literally summarizing what we're talking about right here mm -hmm. is he, he figures out what works the best for him and his people. And that's what they eat. You know, it's just that simple. I mean, it's simple in theory, very difficult to figure out. <laughs> no, but, I think there's yeah, John, yeah. I think there's a lot to that. I mean, what I'm seeing with people, and again, this is outside the bodybuilding realm, but just with the realm of health, we're finding that people, when they go on a, you know, a carnivorous diet, which is kind of an elimination diet, they, they figure out pretty quickly what works for them when they add stuff back in. And so they can say that, you know, I, I went on an all-meat diet for three months and I felt really good. And then I was able to add, you know, something in, you know, a raspberry or an avocado or, or whatever, yeah. and they figure it out. And what I like about Stan's message, and you're echoing the same, is you find out what it does to your body. And he's very cognizant about the fact of what happens digestive-wise. Because some of those foods that we're all told that are great, you know, broccoli and all this stuff, which is a bodybuilding state, for a lot of people that goes in their gut and it just destroys them. And totally. maybe that's not a good deal. And I'm, I'm curious how you select, you know, you said you have some green beans and maybe a little bit of spinach from time to time. And then how you safely carbo load somebody you know i mean you know rice and coconut oil maybe more gentle on the stomach you know allowing for more you know subtle uptake of the glucose how does that play a role in, in what you make decisions on for people in terms of determining their source of carbohydrate yeah i mean like you said yeah, if you're putting your cars back in, how do you determine? So sources? what we'll do is, is when we're when we're pushing buttons, trying to figure out what reactions are. So we'll pitch in action, okay. But in, if I'm going to experiment with someone's carbohydrates, it's always going to be post training because at that point you know it's going to get put into a spot that's not a fat cell because the the muscle cells have become depleted. So anything going in is going to go into the cells that need uh, need to repair. So that's the safe window post-training. That's where I always do it. And it's simple math in terms of, okay, let's, let's put a, a cup of, uh, once it's cooked, let's put a cup of cooked oats after your training with your egg whites. Let's see how, how long is it before you're hungry. And let's, let's make a note of that. Okay, the next time we do it, let's put white rice in there. How long until you're hungry? Now, granted, you got to keep the stimulus the same. It's going to be after a leg workout every time. You can't make. You can't say, "Oh, well, yeah, I'm going to just do a little cardio day and test the oatmeal, and then tomorrow I'm going to kick ass at a leg workout and test the rice." Well, that that's not a stable enough platform to test. So you've got to really control your environment. And one of the things you said 
but I'm a total connoisseur of is you got to bring things in single file because you, you get too many things working at once. You don't know what, what you really don't know what reaction you're reading from. You've got to be testing one thing at a time. And as that finishes up and you start to understand the reactions, you know, okay, white rice works much better than, than oats or, you know, whatever it is, you, you start to realize that digestion is everything. If you put it in your stomach, you know, digestive worth the damn, you're not going anywhere. So like for me, going back to the avocado, I can have 30 grams of fat of an avocado and I almost don't even feel it in my stomach. You put 30 grams of fat and almond butter in there. It's going to take a lot longer to process. That's just me. Some people it's the other way around. So it's truly action, reaction, action, reaction. And you can't just say, okay, let's going to, we're going to use this to carb load this guy. Hell, he might, you know, he might have a stomach looks like a pregnant woman at eight and a half months, you know, because it's not digesting it. That's not doing anybody good. You know, that, 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 that makes sense, brother. Really kind of going back to the same principles of action, reaction, but this is really what people need to start to, to think about. They got to start thinking about how do you react from what you're doing? Are you reacting favorably? Are you reacting in a way that you're, is the reaction actually suitable to your goals? You know, if it's not suitable to your goals, pitch a different action. Look for a different reaction. Get the series of reactions that actually are going to lead you the direction you're supposed to be going. I tell people, look, you're spending all this time, all this money, all this effort. Get somebody. Hire somebody. You know, beg for somebody. Whatever you got to do to acquire enough information that you can actually start the process and understand how to do this. Because if you're just sitting there throwing darts at a, in a, at a, into a dark room, you don't know, you know, you got no idea what it's hitting in there, you know. And hell, for that matter, you don't know when a dart's coming back right at your face. <laughs> you know, so you, it's really if people would stop being cheap and just following what the person in front of them does, we wouldn't be having this conversation. But unfortunately, people don't like to think for themselves. You know, just just, uh, you know, it's it's like earlier you guys said, oh, yeah, this works for so and so. So I'm going to do it. Well, OK, that's great. It worked for him. Hopefully it works for you. The odds are it's not going to work exactly the same. I can almost guarantee it's not going to work exactly the same. But you might get lucky and get some favorable enough results you want to continue. But if you really want to get to the promised land, you really want to grab that brass ring, you got to figure out your own personal puzzle. And that comes through you understanding the reactions your body gives you back from the actions you give to it. John, let me, one last question. Um, you know, when did you sort of discover that, you know, you, you ran well without any, any, any significant carbohydrate in your diet? I mean, did you, <laughs> what, and what yeah. tipped you off and who did you, I mean, cause no one, I mean, there's people that have done this before. I mean, I, we talked about Serge Nubray back in the 1970s, eating seven, eight pounds of horse meat a day. And, you know, we got guys like, uh, uh, Vince Garanda, you know, back in the day, the steak and egg stuff. I mean, where did you, when did you decide that, hey, man, I'm just going to run without carbohydrates, and how did that evolve for you? All right, well, let's, let's do, we, this is a good one, because we got to go back to the beginning. So when I was a little boy, I was, you wouldn't, you wouldn't look at me as a little boy and imagine that I would be what I am today. God touched me on the shoulder, said, you're fat, you love cookies and ice cream, so get at it. <laughs> and so 
I was just a fat little boy. And listen, I, I was all my own induced shit. I had no excuses. I had loving parents. I wasn't abused. I had nothing other than, you know, me being, you know, a sweet toother and, and get myself nice and porky. Um, basically I developed, I was a very overweight kid and a whopping, you know, self-esteem issue because I ate myself into being so fat and I really comes down to it, an eating disorder. I mean, I would eat till I couldn't breathe. It wasn't about, it was, it was just a, all I can say is food had control of me. And so I was like, okay, this is not healthy for me. I mean, you're talking about, you know, in my early twenties, I'm strong as an ox, you know, I'm 260 pounds and I'm still doing the stupid shit where, you know, a buddy of mine will come over to my, my apartment, walk in the door and I'm laying on a couch, you know, barely breathing. My stomach is so distended because I've been stuffing myself for two days and I still got a goddamn Tupperware M&Ms and I'm feeding them to myself one by one as I can barely breathe. And he's like, what the fuck are you doing? It's like, it just didn't, it's like, it's like us walking into a drug house and looking at all these people all fucked up laying around high as a kite on heroin or something. So what, what are these people doing? We just don't understand. Well, it was because we didn't have the problems that they have. And so my whole development of no carbohydrate was developed on one simple premise. <laughs> I need to find what I can overeat and not get fucking so goddamn fat. <laughs> <laughs> and as I started to dive into different foods, you know, I started to realize, you know, Jesus Christ, I'm eating a lot of protein here and I'm getting really strong and I can eat till I can't breathe and I'm not getting so fat. I'm not feeling so drunk. Like I'm hung over the next day, which the sugar was leaving me with like a brutal hangover. I mean, I was full blown, like not the same for days after one of those eating binges, you know? And so I started to realize, holy shit, I started consuming huge amounts of protein because I would just sit down and there was no schedule. It was, I would just sit down and eat till I was uncomfortable. And that was my eating schedule. So I figured, okay, as long as I can get that feeling of overeating, I can do without the carbohydrate. And you know, it wasn't a perfect science at first. I broke, you know, and then as I started to realize I went forward, I was like, okay, I started to recognize that, you know, fats were giving me a feeling in my stomach. Like, you you know, you eat a lot of protein by itself and you sometimes you feel full of the pressure, but you don't feel satisfied, you know? And I started to realize when I started eating fattier meats that I was getting a different feel in my stomach. That brought on the whole development of holy shit. That was my first reaction that really started leading me down the pipeline of, okay, huge amounts of protein and fattier proteins make me feel more satisfied. Um, and I'm starting to get all these huge benefits and that's where it developed. So it was literally out of survival mode of not wanting to be this fucking fat son of a bitch that was just debilitating himself with this eating disorder. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of people, and, and you know, a lot of people say it's it's impossible to get to get obese eating meat. You know, and, and, and literally, I, I I would believe I believe that. And it's you know, I mean, we see people that put on a little bit of weight, maybe a small amount of body fat, but but you know, you don't see these Walmart grocery cart people that are you know can't walk because they're so damn fat eating eating beef. You can't do it. I mean, I mean, exactly. I, I think that's probably a fair statement. Um, what do you got coming up? 
uh, athletically, competition-wise, anything on the horizon, John? And, and tell us a little bit how people can get a hold of you if they want to find out more information. Absolutely. Well, the, the John Anderson Hub would be my website, which is John. My, my name is spelled goofy. It's J-O-N, no H. So J-O-N hyphen, not to be confused with the underscore. Anderson, A-N-D-E-R-S-E-N, so that's the double whammy, dot com. From there, you can see different parts of my three different careers. You can see all my social media. I would say the biggest social media that I probably work with is my Instagram, which is the underscore John underscore uh, Anderson underscore IFBB Pro. And you know, I'm real active there. I'm always putting out free content, motivational videos, trying to help people understand how to be more effective with their time. So definitely check that out. I mean, I'm, I'm constantly, like I give away my, my, uh, my first version of deep water in the ebook, which has got all sorts of great information. So you can literally go to the Instagram and you hit the, the link in the bio and it takes you to a place where you can literally get the book for free. So I'm a huge, I like to be giving information to people to help them be better versions of themselves. And so that's the, my social media. Then in terms of the next stop for me competition wise is May 25th, Los Angeles, the California pro. Um, that's the next stop. So, um, you know, I love it, man. I, I can't, I can't, everything I'm doing at, at 47, my career, my life has really come to a position where I don't really work anymore. You know, my wife says, Hey, you know, when are you going to stop working? And I'm not working. What are you talking about? Well, when are you going to take a break? Okay. Well, that's a different story. <laughs> I take, I take a break when I get tired. I go to bed. <laughs> yeah, sleep when you're dead. Yeah. It sounds like you're having a blast, Johnny. And yeah. And I, I definitely check out his Instagram. I, I see you on there with your deep water motivation. You know, <laughs> in your face, you, baby, in your face. It's stuff that right. no, it's it's the truth. You know, the bottom line is nobody wants to hear me tell them get the fuck off the couch and get to work. But that's what you got to. That's what you need sometimes. It is. I'll tell you. You know, I, like I tell people, if you want to make a big change, you got to make a big change. You know, and uh, that's it. It's it's uh, you know we've got this. I come from a healthcare background where we you know we tell people go go for a walk. And I'm like, man, that ain't gonna get it done. You gotta, you gotta do more. <laughs> That's it. Eat That's a damn steak, pick up some weight, go start deadlifting. Well, guys, I gotta go meet a gal for a steak. Speaking of, I got a meeting with a gal because she's gonna meet me for a steak at some place to talk some business stuff. But it's been a pleasure, John. I look forward to seeing you more in the future. You know, I, I ran into you a couple times already this year, so I'll look out for you, and I'm sure we'll, we'll cross paths again, and maybe have you back on down the road and talk some more because it's been entertaining. I love it, guys. I had a great time today. Thank you very much. And I look forward to crossing paths with you sometime real soon. All right. Awesome. Yeah, thanks, John. We'll definitely uh, post your Instagram and webpage to the show notes so listeners can click right into those things and check out what you got going on over there. Um, otherwise, uh, have a great rest of the day. You got it, guys. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. I had a ball. All right. Don't fall in the water if you tip back there, man. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of the Human Performance Outliers podcast with hosts Dr. Sean Baker and Zach Bitter. If you enjoyed the show, please consider following us on social media and checking out our websites. Links to those can be found in the show notes. Also, if you have any questions or comments, please do not hesitate to shoot us an email at hpopodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again for tuning into the show.